for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Timon Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Three underground rap nerds walked into a bar. An argument ensued about who the goats are. The seed was a thought that would turn into a pod. Now fans worldwide say, Not a bad job, the ad hoc cab squad who chronicles the vanguard of hip hop at large. Rap taste slacked off, no need to be mad, dog. Look no further, it's the dad bod rap pod. pod, pod. live from San Jose, California. It is the Dad Bod Rap Pod. I am 130, your host, Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dim One. And hip-hop changed my life. Nate LeBlanc, how about you? Yeah, kind of can't imagine it without it. Um, I've said it on the pod many times. It's very odd for a music genre to have a birthday. But in terms of, like, um, you know, uh, tracking this history, like, it's nice to know where uh, everyone kind of agrees it started at one point. And we'll get into it into a second a little bit more, but let's definitely bring in our man. Yeah, the dude um, who lives and bleeds hip-hop, <laughs> uh, Mr. David Ma. Hey, you guys. Good to see you in person once again. Absolutely. Hey. Man, yeah, we were just talking before this started. I mean, for, I mean, in some ways, kind of corny that this major like genre has an actual um, Big Bang Day. But also, what a blessing and how fucking awesome. Yep. Um, definitely here to celebrate it. It is um, the U.S.'s uh, most important and largest cultural export and has changed my life. And uh, that's why we're sitting here in this hot ass room together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Only hip hop culture could bring us together <laughs> on this sweltering day, which when we debut this, it will be uh, August 11th, 2023, which is the 50th birthday of hip hop culture. Um, it's funny, no one calls it an anniversary. It's called the birthday. It's so well, funny. Well, it, because right. it started with the birthday party, right? Yes, well, right. sort of. Um, right. So 50 years ago today, at um, the community room of uh, an apartment complex in the Bronx, uh, the address is 1523 Sedgwick Avenue, um, Cindy Campbell threw a party to raise money to buy back-to-school clothes. I love that this is all That's started with that. Totally. It's so great. And her brother, Clive Campbell, was the DJ. And he is better known as DJ Cool Herc. And so at that party, he kind of, it, it's very murky whether or not he actually debuted um, his style of break mixing that eventually came to be hip hop that night right. or not. But that's when it kind of coalesced and people started to take off on it. And that started the Park Jam era of hip hop long before it was ever thought to be recorded. And I just think it's important to acknowledge this history. And in 50 years, it has made such exponential Crazy. leaps and bounds of creativity and it's given so many people careers and um enrichment and fulfillment and it's taught the three of us and so many of you guys listening so much about life and it's been such a uh, just essential form of expression musically narratively with words with dance with art um it's as dave said uh, the u.s's greatest uh 
cultural export. It's kind of like a jazz that people actually listen to. Right. No shots to jazz. We all love jazz music, and we wouldn't be here without that, too. But we're here to talk about the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. And I just think, um, even though this has been a little bit co-opted and it's a little corny, I think it's really important that we acknowledge that this culture has brought so much to so many of our lives and that um, it's, it's a powerful economic and cultural engine that continues going and will never die. This, it no, started a thing right, in right. that room that will literally be a part of humankind for all of history. It's amazing. Uh, uh, back in the day, I knew rap would never die. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think hip-hop culture is um, basically baked into everything now. Everything. There's, there's been kind of like, oh, is hip-hop dying or whatever? Hip-hop can never die because it just latches on to other things. Totally. And other things latch on to it and um, still derive great cultural relevancy. I think maybe that's the biggest miracle. Not miracle, but one of the best proponents of the culture is like... The lyrical miracle? Uh, is it spiritual? Um, is that it? it's still really relevant. And if you kind of look at, at the trajectory of other types of music, there is this arc where it goes from being like super relevant, all the teenagers want it, to being something that's passe and boring or like too avant-garde to even uh, be understood anymore. Somet somehow rap has retained its coolness. Um, it's still divisive. It's still dangerous, which I still, you know, I, I appreciate about the culture. And obviously for us, yes, we talk about rap all the time, but... Um, I just think hip-hop culture generally, right? Like, even b-boy culture, which I, I have connections to uh, graffiti, the art of DJing, like, this whole movement, uh, which gets overshadowed by rap sometimes, is still super important. And so um, I'm just thankful, man. I'm, I'm thankful for this shit. I have no idea what I'd be into were it not for uh, hip-hop. Yeah, I know exactly what I would be into. I'm actually still into it now, but the <laughs> hip-hop, like, I would be an indie rock person. Like, I actually am oh. still an indie rock <laughs> I was going to be like, guns? Yeah. Like, what is, like, what is, like, what does he mean? Nah, dog. <laughs> roses. Pro, pro wrestling? <laughs> like, like, what? Like, what? <laughs> I like lots of different kinds of music, but my life has been defined by this obsession with hip-hop. Yeah, for and sure. I, I think... Um, I d just because we we've talked about this many times on the podcast, the podcast is kind of about this. Hip hop is so great because it takes everything and throws it in its blender. Right. It's like right. you can learn so much by what people have sampled. You can learn so much by what people say on the mic. Yep. And I don't have as many connections to hip like graffiti or b-boying culture. And I think it's very like a, a debate for another time, perhaps with a real graffiti practitioner from back in the day of whether or not it actually is. If graph is. Yes. Oh yeah. No, actually, heard, like. Yeah. It, it, it certainly didn't start with hip hop. It was kind it of pre, brought it into predates hip hop. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, you're right. Depends and many who you of talk to. many of the early masters were Heshers. So there, there's right, a ton right. to talk about there. I'm not really the best person to talk about it, but it, we'll, we can go to some four elements church of hip hop shit. Like it, it's it's reliable. It's proven in its own way. Yeah. But yeah, man, I just think. Um, we're gonna talk. We're gonna play some interviews that we've done with yeah. some um, some pioneers right yes, now. Yes, yeah. man. So so unbelievable. I mean, uh, Roxanne Chante was episode eighteen. That's crazy. crazy. Which I, I, mean. I which I imagine means most of you have never heard it. <laughs> totally. Uh, nobody yeah. was checking yeah. for yeah. us back then. And uh, we were probably uh, at the top of our game by eighteen. <laughs> so, jeez. But yeah, it, it just speaks so much that we that they were still around. And yeah. that, uh, yep. you know, we, we have access to them. and um, Dude, A living art where most of the, like, Cool Herc's alive. Right, yeah. right. Yep. Totally. Like, if you want to know something that happened, uh, you know, they, he should be doing, like, autographs at conventions totally. and making thousands of dollars. Totally. Like, he should be uh, 
more fetid than he is and yeah, i don't know and that's I, that's a whole other we could do like six episodes on are the pioneers um have they been correctly credited and compensated and which is part of our uh conversation with easy ad kind of got into that territory on whether the cold crush brothers have been properly credited for their contributions to hip-hop and so it's one of those things where instead of uh merely complaining about the lack of coverage like we do it and that's so right. it's cover a, yeah we we got roxanne chante way back in the day episode 18 please have some grace with us the audio is not um as pristine as we'd like it to be and then uh much later we talked to easy ad that was episode 213 um about his experience with the cold crush brothers and just how somebody who was there for the Park Jam era is interpreting hip-hop these days. And right. he said some really interesting things. So uh, let's cut to uh, the real Roxanne first, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Video Music Box continues with one of the hottest lady rappers on the music scene. Here's Roxanne Shantae and Roxanne's Revenge. rap pod it's nothing but history here this is like the history channel of hip-hop right here we have an amazing amazing interview for y'all today uh, with with an MC who whose personal story as well as their contributions to the culture are just so huge Roxanne Shantae the real Roxanne was gracious enough to talk to us in what was a just an amazing interview. It was kind of hard not to like just fan out totally. and, um, and, and kind of just fall on the floor. But she has incredible stories. Um, when we talk about the resurgence of, of women in hip-hop, she was doing it circa 84. Right. Uh, she's 14 years old. Just, just amazing. Uh, as, many as, you, uh, as many of you know, she has a biopic about her life, which is on Netflix right now, that you should definitely check out. And so, yeah, how, how'd you feel about it, Nate? I was just Great. spazzing. She was awesome. Yeah, she, w- she was really entertaining. She seems like a, a tough lady, totally. which kind of comes across in the movie. Um, she's clearly um, eloquent. She knows mm-hmm. kind of how to answer a question. She was just really cool, really gracious with her time. Um, it, it was really fun to talk to her. I think our guests or our listeners are really going to enjoy totally. this one. One of, one of my favorite sort of classic uh, hip-hop footage clips is from uh, that documentary, Big Fun in the Big Town. And that's the one where the it's that footage of Bismarcky, skinny Bismarcky with that hat <laughs> that says Bismarcky on it, and he's beat, beatboxing and she's rapping. And, uh, you know, just to get her, you know, talking to us is just incredible, especially with all the recent fervor about the, about the film. Totally. We actually, uh, before we even knew the Netflix movie was coming out, we were trying to reach out to her right. when we were first starting the podcast to get her on, and now it makes sense why they were waiting. Right. It was kind of totally. like, you know, it felt like we were being ignored, but it actually worked out way better, yep. so it's well, awesome. We got our foot in the door right away, so that's good, you know? Yeah. 
I'd like to point out, first female guest yes. on the Dad 100%. Bond Rap Pod. Definitely not the last. Definitely yep. not the last, yep. but, you know, we go big or go home here. Right. <laughs> Trailblazers, man. Absolutely. And what what I love from just the kind of MC perspective is her voice is her voice. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So the, yeah. the voice that, you know, when I was a, a young tyke and I was like, totally. who is this? Like, yeah. she talks on the phone. That's her voice. Totally. Yeah. That's, so, that's Roxanne laughing, you know? Yeah. That's, oh, that's her giggling. It's great. Yeah. So she gets into... Um, kind of the message behind the movie, what she wants to do next, as mm-hmm. well as is some great stories about the uh, Queensbridge, right. Bronx, Beef, and Karis one. Yeah, Marley so stories. Just her, she gave us so much in, in, a, in a kind of 15, 20-minute package. So without further ado, we present to you our interview with the real Roxanne, Roxanne Shante, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Hello. Hello. Hey, hello. This is Dave. Uh, this is Dave from um, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Um, we're here. We're here uh, trying to get in touch with Roxanne. Is this you? How oh, are you? I'm well. You know, first off, we just like to say thank you for your time. We are just huge fans. Um, and uh, you know, just to get you on here, it's uh, we're really honored. Um, I just want to introduce you to a couple guys who will be uh, assisting me right now. Um, one is named Damone and the other is Nate and we're just going to be throwing some questions at you we're just huge fans and really honored to have your time okay great no problem cool cool well you know I, I want to just quickly start off because you know you've been in the news uh, recently for the uh, Netflix film and how did can you kind of let people know how that came about because we're, we're huge fans of the Juice Crew huge fans of your history but how did Netflix and, and you guys connect well what it was done was with the producers, we wanted to have the largest possible platform that we felt would be best mm-hmm. for the movie itself, but also to get the message out to everyone. So because we felt that the movie isn't just a, a movie that people that we put out in order to, okay, we want to make money off this. No, we felt the importance of having this story told at this time. So for us, Netflix having 180 million homes we felt that this was the best possible platform, especially for our urban community, to be able to watch it, you know, at their leisure. Right, right. So with this, it's there's really a lot of, of kind of a message of empowerment for women. And so in this moment in hip-hop, kind of how do you feel about this current resurgence of women in hip hop, we've got kind of Cardi B is standing at the at the top of the game right now. I I just love to get your thoughts on on how you feel about that. Oh, I, I feel I feel great. I feel um, honored. I think that it's um it definitely makes me feel honored and proud to be a female rapper in this day and age. To know that whatever it is that I have done in the past has contributed to the fact of the level of success that these young women have today, it is a beautiful thing. Beautiful. Roxanne, did you uh, coach Shantae Adams yourself in, to, uh, in a, like how to portray you, especially in terms of being an MC? There were a few things that I needed to, that, you know, that she requested that I coach her on, or maybe there were a few things that I observed serving as executive producer and being on set every day. There may have been one or two little things, but in all reality, Shantae Adams was born for the part, including mm-hmm. being named Shantae. Yeah, so right. she stepped right into it without any problem. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome Roxanne so you know we're obviously uh, you know it's uh, the movie's gonna introduce you to a whole generation of new fans but um, we're huge fans of um, Juice Crew and Marley Marl in those days can you talk a little bit about when you were introduced to the crew and how that sort of uh, started well I was introduced to the crew in 
I met Molly Mom when I was about maybe seven or eight years old because we lived in the same housing project. So I knew Molly Mom my entire life, including Empty Shan also. And wow. I think it's because growing up in the same neighborhood and living on the same block, we already had that connection. Mm-hmm. So to get together as artists was very easy for us because he already knew me. That's why he was able to call me out the window and say, come to his house. He wasn't a stranger <laughs> calling me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So did you ever end up running into UTFO? Like, after that whole thing popped off, was was that a thing? Did you ever kind of get to talk to them about that? Well, um, I did. I, you know, to now, presently today, me and Tango have a great relationship. Me and Doc have a wonderful relationship. And, um, you know, the educated actor has passed on. Right. But also me and Mick Master Ice had a great relationship. And when I say great relationship, it's not the same relationship that I had with my, with my juice crew brothers. You know, that's a real brother-sister relationship. But when I say we have a great relationship, we work together, we see each other, we smile, we hug, you know, we kiss each other's kids, we, like, you know, come to each other's kids' birthday parties and things like that. So that's our relationship now where it stands. It wasn't always like that. When we first met up, I think it was better for the industry that they portrayed us as arch enemies as though they did whatever it took to contribute to that, whether it was different show bookings, whether it was different locations, maybe even sometimes to the point of different accommodations. Maybe it might be sometimes when I'll have the better hotel, better hotel room, and then they won't have that. Then sometimes they would have it and I wouldn't have it in order to keep that risk going. Awesome. Um, can we talk a little bit about Def Fresh Crew? Um, <laughs> I love that song. It's such a minimal classic. Can you talk about how that came to be and how uh, you and the biz uh, came to work together? Yes, Death Fresh Crew came about because Molly decided to quit on me right before a show. Wow. And so, so it is how it was portrayed I mean, in the movie. Exactly. Wow. And so me being able to do a freestyle, that was just a freestyle. I knew his name was Ben. You know, I knew what we came to do. I knew what we had on. And so I just did the rhyme about that. Wow. That still stands to this day. That is so awesome. You know, we touched a, a little bit on this earlier, um, you know, about just the, the new forefront of female MCs. And, you know, the, um, people are getting more shine, a little bit more attention. But how was it when you were one of the few lone female MCs in a, you know, in a world filled with men? Um, see, for me, it was, it was, it was okay as far <laughs> as being a, a female MC around all the fellas because I was always able to hold my own. Mm. I didn't come out, you know, with all this sexy clothing and revealing this and mm-hmm. revealing that. See, I didn't have any of that. So I was always saw, you know, they always looked at me as the little sister, mm. you know, so there was never a, uh, there was never a time where it was like, oh, yeah, I want her to be my girlfriend or I want to see what I want to be. So they were always very respectful to me. Mm. Even when I was throwing tantrums and cursing and saying all types of things about them, you know, they still, you know, they still were like, okay, you know what, that's just our little sister and she's acting up. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So can you talk a little bit about uh, the the Queensbridge uh, Bronx beef, you know, that, that was going on at that time? I, I know Nas talks about it in his kind of documentary, and I was I was wondering, could you just give us kind of a flavor for how intense was that when that was really when that was really popping? Well, that was very, um, that you know, I happened to be overseas at the time when that was done. And, you know, you're talking about going back into time when we didn't have cell phones and Internet and Facebook. Mm. So 
when I came home, I came home and it was already a beast. And I was like, what the fuck happened while I was gone? <laughs> and like, who's terrorist one? And, and why the fuck is he mad at me? <laughs> right, right. Did you ever kind of talk with him about that? Because he, right. he kind of cut you low on the record. I know it's been years and years, but you guys ever kind of get a chance to talk about that? Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, as as you know, anything that has 30 some odd years, of course you're going to meet up with each other and going to talk about it. I remember the first time, and I think he talked about it in an interview. Um, the first time we met up, we met up at a bank, and I was ready to fight. I didn't know what everybody else was but I was like, you know, I told somebody, like, listen, hold the baby, because I'm getting ready to fight. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you, brother? And he was like, he was very humble. And, and you could tell that he was, he was, he was Karis one, the teacher then. Mm. You know, because he was like, sister, I didn't know. I, you know, he was like, lost for words. And I was like, oh, you did all that bitch, and you didn't even want to fight. Like, I would fucking get it. <laughs> but... I remember being in the uh, limousine when when I first heard the bridge is over, and the limousine driver just was, you know, I was tired. I had just came from overseas. My son was an infant. You know, I'm going through a lot. And, and so, you know, sometimes the only, sometimes sleep is the, was the only freedom that I knew. Mm. And, you know, and I could only sleep whenever I got a moment to. Because between having a baby, you up with the baby. And then being a hip-hopper, you up all night at the club. So if I could get two hours here or two hours there or sleep on a plane or whatever, you know, just trying to find any type of moment. And I remember the, the limo driver saying, hey, I want to play this. And I was like, well, let me hear it later. He's like, no, you should want to hear this now. And I was like, no, nah, I'm kind of tired. And I remember rolling up the partition because, like, back in the days in the limousine, they had this big velvet-ass partition you could roll up. And I remember rolling up the partition. And then about 10 minutes later, I heard the partition going back down. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> and he was like, and he was playing The Bridge is Over. Mm. And as soon as I heard the Roxanne Chante is only different to the second part, and I knew that Karis One was Kane Trent. Like, he had just moved furniture with Kane. Mm. <laughs> so I called Kane on the phone, and I was like, what the hell your fucking friend? <laughs> and he was like, he was like, I know, Shani, but also, I understood that it's hip-hop. And if you wanted to be the best, you had to come to the best. Mm. So it wasn't like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're coming at us. If we're the best at this time, then everyone is going to come at us. And I knew I had already had 80-something records made about me, so I was already cool with people coming at me because I already understood that. Mm. But, you know, usually it was somewhere you were, it was provoked. In some, you know, whether it was something in one of my shows or whatever it was. But I was surprised about that. And then later on, Karis, one of myself, we talked about it, we laughed about it. And then I remember him performing the song, and Marley had actually produced the album for him. So right. I felt like, right. I felt like, well, if Marley can forgive him and let him produce the album, <laughs> then, then he fucking might be angry. So, you know, um, I remember Karis, one doing a show. And because I was there, he changed the lyrics. Mm, wow. And he and didn't want to say it, being respectful. And then I remember cutting in the middle of his show and told him, like, you can't unwrite history. Like, that is our history. You can't unwrite hip-hop. You can't change our history. You better sing that shit the way you're supposed to. And then he started laughing. 
and then he started all over again. And the crowd went crazy because it's hip hop, and yep. you can't change that. And I wouldn't want him to change that, you know? Sounds like a good scene for the sequel. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um, Roxanne, do you still rap? I, you know, some people ask me, like, do I still want, am I capable of doing it? Absolutely. Right. Do I do it now? No. Do I host events and occasionally something comes out of my mouth? Absolutely. <laughs> but I'm really, you like, one of the uh, most sought after hosts. So people have me to host it because in sure. between, you know, I'm telling hip hop stories, I got people laughing, I'm talking about the past, you know, I talk about kids and, and all types of stuff, I talk about being gay, all types of stuff. So, you know, it, it, we definitely, I definitely come across with a great old school hip hop feel. So, yeah, I can still do it if I choose to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, wow, that's great. Uh, that said, what kind of music do you listen to? Mm-hmm. What kind of music do you listen to in your spare time? I listen to old school R&B. Okay. Oh, I listen okay. to music from from 1969 to 1978. <laughs> <laughs> That's very specific. Um, you know, sort of just uh, piggy on that last question. So, are you in tune to any of the modern female MCs or just MCs in general? I mean, are you listening to anybody recently? And um, if so, how do how do they strike you? Or do you even hear yourself? In sort of these um, these so, younger cats. I mean, do I do I listen to it? Like, do I listen to it? Um, will I select it? Probably not. <laughs> Am I subjected to it? Absolutely. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, so so now um, now that you got the Netflix money, now you're rolling in Netflix money. What's what's the next thing for for Roxanne Shante? Actually, I would. I'm, I'm thinking like maybe the end of the year because I'll be going back out um, and I'm going overseas. And you know, we still do a lot of touring. We still do a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking maybe the end of the year, I'm gonna take some time out, and um, I would like to take a vacation and write a book. I mm-hmm. really, really think it's time for me to really write a book, like a like an open history. I can't believe that really happened type book. Wow! You know? Wow! Well, look, yo, Roxanne, we're, we're, again, we're just huge fans with of your incredible history, and, you know, you're a trailblazer, so Thank we're really you. glad to have you on, and, uh, you know, we're going to pre-order the book already, so, <laughs> you know, we just want to say thank you again, <laughs> thank you again so much for your time, and we're really happy to just, uh, you know, just have you on board, because we are the hugest fans, so thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Have a good night. You All too, right. you too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Y'all coming to Dixie tonight? Who's there? Um, Fantastic and Cold Crutch. Oh, my God. Well, I think you might have got that wrong. Why? You know how Fantastic be talking about Cold Crutch. They're going to be a serious throwdown. Here they come. See? I told Here they y'all. Go. Now y'all believe Look at that dude. That dude look too mean. Well, I'm a T. All dog, my face. I want to get you on the court. I beat Charlie Chase. Cold Crush. Charlie Chase, as cute as could be. You sell your soul to the devil to play like me. Well, I'm the R. Ruby D. And you got a lot of nerve when you play against me. You know you're going to get served. Cold Crush. JDL, the Lords of Lords and Ruby D. My man, your shit is on the boards. You all can't ball. You all can't ball. I'm the K. Kevin Kev. And I'm not the fake. You know I eat your ass up like a steak you take. Cold Crush. You know the R. Game is legit. And when we get on the court. 
I'm gonna stick your shit. The W. Whip a whip. And I'm here to say that I can rock your world like the Dr. Uh -huh. J. Cold Crush. Tony Tone, known to be ill, but everybody know I could deal with the pill. I'm the D. Dotter Rock. On this shit court, I've been nine years old playing this here sport. Cold Crush. A.D. Highest degree, I got a better jump shot than Rick Barry. Well, I'm the M. Like all the pretty girls, I serve your monkey ass like Earl the Pearl. Go, Dad Bod Rap Pod, every week we talk to people who are moving and shaping hip hop culture. This week, that is especially true. We have Easy AD from the Cold Crush Brothers. How's it going, man? In the world, um, world, the world. <clears throat> The world in which, which we're existing in is, going, is a little tough, but I, I would say I'm living a wonderful, exciting, exhilarating life. There it is. There it is. Glad, glad to hear it. Glad you could, you could join us. Um, I want to start by asking, like, can you, you're a hip-hop pioneer and MC. Can you talk to us about what it was like before hip-hop? Like, before hip-hop was a thing, what were, what were the cool cats doing? Like, what? What occupied people's time and space before hip hop culture came on the scene? What exploded? Absolutely. So, um, for a lot of the young um, people who lived in the South Bronx, hip hop was just a, a, a I mean, excuse me, the music and the elements in which we we encompassed the culture of hip hop. We, we we had a lot of fun, right? We, we went we went places, right? So if you were a popular hip hop person at the time, before we called it hip hop, you were able to travel from different sectors of the area and safely go there. So you could, so we live, we all lived in the South Bronx. So there was places in the South Bronx that if you didn't live there, you didn't go there. So by being, you know, musically inclined uh, from whether you're a DJ, whether you're a B-boy, um, whether you uh, uh, an MC, um, you were able to travel to these places safe because people looked at you like as a, a, a uh, living in the ghetto superstar, doing something that, number one, they, were, they, they, they didn't do. Um, and it was something new and they really didn't understand it, but they liked it a lot. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank, thanks for the um, sort of background on that. Um, we're going to jump around because, I mean, there's such a depth of um, history to, to, to um, uncover. But, you know, um, a standout moment for Cold Crush is uh, the wild style uh, scene with you guys versus the Fantastic Freaks, of course. And I'm sure you've gotten this question before, but we would be remiss since we have your time not to ask about it. Can you take us back to that day and just give us the background and your feelings and just everything that occurred during that famous uh, Cold Crush versus Fantastic Freaks uh, battle scene. The battle scene was, uh, was uh, written in because the uh, Fantastic, we call them five, you see a freak, the Fantastic Five, and mm. the Cold Crush Brothers, mm. like, kind of, um, we took over the streets because other groups, were, had made records and they were traveling a lot, so they left. They, they left a, a, a space, and we kind of we were kind of battling for that space at one point, and so we had um, we had battled. I think we we had battled 
Um, but we hadn't battled yet, actually. The Cold Crescent Fantastic didn't do our famous battle mm. from July 3rd, 1981, all right, before we filmed the battle at the Dixie Club uh, in the Wild Style movie. So it was, um, we were kind of like taken back because we had to use music that was creative that we weren't using at the time. So we had to adapt our MC, our, our MC style to uh, a beat that was created by um, Wild Style producer, I think um, Stein and Charlie Ahern, they created that beat. And so we had to rhyme with that. But Fantastic Five and the Coker's Brothers, we, we didn't like each other as far as MCs. Um, they felt they were better than us. Um, and we felt that we were better than them. But we never compared ourselves to them. That's the difference. We never compared ourselves to any groups. But anyway, that, when the movie was being filmed, um, Charlie wrote this, uh, Charlie Ahern, who is the producer, uh, director of Wild Style, along with um, Fab Five Freddy, assistant, you know, producer. They wrote this scene in because, you know, that the battle was like brewing with the Cold Crescent, the Fantastic Bowl. So we, we filmed it at the Dick, Dixie. It, it was fun. Um, if you look, um, when you look at that scene, we were just doing our routine, our rhymes and stuff that we normally do. Um, and um, it was it was fun. Um, we didn't really, the movie aspect didn't really sink into our head at the particular time that we were actually doing a movie. I know we were doing a movie, but we weren't like, like consciously, oh, we're doing a movie, mm. you know? And so it was fun. Um, I think the Fantastic Five went first. They shot their scene first, and then we shot our scene uh, second. And then they, you know, then they edited like we were, you know, you know, about, you know, movie movie magic they call it. Yeah, uh, but it was fun. Um, but the interesting thing about just let's I want to give you a little background on both groups. Sure. So, um, the Fantastic Five, um, for those of you who don't know, they consist of five MCs: Master Rob, Ruby D, Whip Whip Dada Rock, and Kevin Ken. Um, their DJ is Grand Wizard Theodore. He's known uh, for inventing the scratch technique. All right, so um, Kev, Kev, Kevy Kev and myself, uh, we grew up together playing basketball. So we knew each other since we were like 10 years old. So we, have, we had a connection from just playing basketball. So a lot of times in the hip hop culture now, they talk about basketball. We was doing that. We played basketball, and I'll give you a little more history on that. But so then, Whip a Whip and Dada Rock used to be down with the Mighty Force and Cat and Kaz Group, and then they joined the Cold Crush Brothers, which was myself, um, Easy AD, Mr. T, Whip a Whip and Dada Rock, for about maybe three to six months. And then they left and they moved over to the Fantastic Five. So that's a little history on, mm. on the groups. Okay. And then our group, which is the Cold Crush that you know of now from the movie, they were, you know, we were before then, we had a, a guy named Mr. T, um, Whip Whip Dada Rock, uh, and myself. So we was the Cold Crush along with Charlie Chase um, and uh, Tony Tone. And just a little history, a lot of times, I know you're, you're heard a lot of people talk about the Cold Crush. Um, the original DJ Tony Tone is the guy who created the Cold Crush. He came up with the name and he put the group together. Mm. So just want that's for that's for document sakes. Yeah. DJ Tony <laughs> Tone. 
So the Wildstar movie kind of um, was the battle scene was incredible, by the way, and it um, you know it helped propel the culture of hip hop on a international scale once the movie came out, and we got an opportunity to go on tour to Japan and Osaka and stuff like that. So not only us, but you know the B boys and the B girls and the graph writers. So it was like mm. the culture invaded Japan and Osaka. And uh, it hasn't been the same there since we left. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that history. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Um, it seems like your guys' um, performance style at that time was very routine-based. And so I'm wondering, was there like group practice like, did you, like, how, like, how did you come up with your routines? How did you perfect your routines? Was it through Talk performance? Was it through practice? Was it like, <laughs> how did you nail it? Cause it's, you know, you guys have that uh, perfectly in time together thing and then taking the verses separately. Like, just talk to us about it, please. Absolutely. We did, we did a lot of rehearsing. I think one of the, one of the most, the, the things that the Cold Crush 4 did all the time is rehearse. We wanted to perfect our craft. Um, and we knew that, only way you can get that way is you have to put in the work to get there. So our ideas and things that we came up with, we didn't want to be like any other group that was currently out there, right? So they would take us, they would take like a um, a commercial jingle and they would make a, a, a routine off it or a rhyme off it. We felt that that was very minuscule and very like, ch like childlike for us. So we wanted to take our our skills and our level to a different level. So we would we would take a um, a classic song like like Cats in the Cradle, right? And it, you know, so no matter where you hear that song or that mel melody, you'll connect with that forever. It's a timeless song. So we we chose stuff like that, and we made a routine called um, "All the MCs Can't Deal with Us." Because we all the phone on the hands the cold course, putting fellows on a jock. Well, anyway, so we we did it that way to make it timeless. The the writing skills was impeccable. Um, the lead writer, of course, is Grandmaster Kaz, but everyone played a part in assisting in that, um, which was incredible. Uh, so we would take another timeless song, um, Barry Manilow. 50 ways, you know, 50 ways to rock a party. So we took we took it to another level where people would hear our routines and they go, I've heard that before. But we put a, a crazy hip hop beat, a dope hip hop beat, rocking in the pocket, a love rap underneath it. Um, and and we, we took it to another stratosphere. And to this day, no one has duplicated that. So it doesn't matter what era we rhyme in or we perform in, they be like, yo, that's dope. Like, what? what, what I heard that before. You you heard the melody, but you haven't heard it with this hard rhyme and this hard beat and this like this harmony that once it's inside of your head, it doesn't come out. So we did a lot of rehearsing with that. Um, we um, we did so many. Um, we even we did a uh, routine off um, "Breathe Again" uh, with Tony Braxton, and it goes like this. If we ever catch you on the mic again, if you ever say that, girl, your wits are 10. If you keep on stealing lyrics from your friend, 
If you ever decide to pick up a pen, it'll be the end. Yes, it will. And we promised you, we promised you that you never uh, see again. So we, we did like that. We took it to another level. We flowed. We rehearsed. We live to rock the stage. It does. It didn't matter to us. We was, we were, we we challenged ourselves. We were in competition with the other groups. We were in competition with ourselves. So we never like. So we want to be better than them. We want better than them. Uh, we wasn't. We wanted to be perfect our our skills. So that's that's one of the things. Good question, by the way. Awesome, man. That, that was great. Uh, so given how hard you guys practice and perfected your particular take on the craft at that time did you have a sense of how far hip-hop culture would go when you were kind of practicing to battle and um you know run the streets at that time was there a sense that like this is this is gonna go further than this we we, we honestly did not have an uh an idea that it would go to where it went than where it is today. But one of the things that I just want to share with y'all is that we put things in place. One of the things, if you look, if you if you kind of like dissect the Cold Cross Brothers, um, we have we have a very intricate and very intelligent group of, of people with us. All right. So one of the things that I did while I was with, well, I'm I'm still with the Cold Cross Brothers. I we had a, a, a photographer in school. His name is his name was Joey Kane at the time, and I was like, Joey, I want you to come take pictures of of, of the group I'm with. He was like, I said, I'm with the Cocos Brothers. We do hip hop. He said, What's that? I said, Don't worry, just come. So before anyone could get in, involved with us, we would have to introduce because Tony was the head of the group. You would have to introduce him to Tony, and Tony said, Okay, you're you're part of the group. So once you was part of the group, we was part of the family. So he came and he took pictures of us everywhere we went, all around, all the shows. Um, so that's part of the history that I made, I want to make sure that we had because that's what me. I just love history. I was, I'm a history buff in school. I love history. Then one of my third grade friends, his name is Elvis Moreno. They, know, they call him Tate Master. Tate Master was introduced to Tony. And Tony said, you're down with the crew. And Tony gave him the okay to plug directly into the sound system. So our tapes was super clear. It wasn't no fuzz on it. It was no buzz on it. The reason why we, I wanted to do that is because the other tapes that were circling around the Bronx at the time was um, the Furious Five tapes, um, the L Brothers tapes, right? And they, they tapes used to be like kind of staticky and not clear. But when you get a Cocrest tape, it sounds like you were standing inside of the, the party. So that part of history I want, I want to save, and, and we have saved it. But to your question, we didn't know hip hop was going to this level. Of course not. Um, we were doing the music of hip hop, having fun, um, expressing our, doing our craft, writing our rhymes, being popular like in, in the community that we lived in and a community that we didn't live in. Uh, it gave us an opportunity to travel outside of the boroughs. This is before records, right? So we're talking about before the records hit, right? Before um, 
that record came out in 1979 and changed the, the, the business side of hip hop and really kind of put hip hop MCs ahead of their time because their rhyming style was already ahead of that, right? So when they came out with that record, it was like, our style was ahead of that. So we, we, we always was considered ahead of our time later on as things went on. But we didn't know hip hop was gonna go on a business side to this level, no one knew we were doing what we loved. We were our own promoters. We promoted our own parties. We carried our own system inside the clubs. Um, we did everything ourselves. So we were entrepreneurs and we also was branding experts that we didn't know at the time. <laughs> oh, thank you for the explanation and all the insights. Um, you mentioned Grandmaster Kaz earlier. And you know, I want to sort of um, bring that up a little bit. Um, I we all know the history about Big Hank sort of um, taking some of his lines and stuff. But oh, I, well, oh, yeah. so so I wanted you to sort of uh, you know uh, unravel that for us because there's there's a lot of stuff and a lot of connections and all that, and you were there. So can you sort of break that down for us of the history well, Hank, of what happened? Hank was Cass's manager at the time, mm. and he came in one day. He's like, "I'm going to make a record," and they were like, "What?" You're not, you're not even the MC. How are you going to make a record? But he asked Cass for a rhyme. Cass threw his rhyme books on the bed and said, take whatever rhyme you want, but look out for me. So when we heard Rappers Light on the radio, I mean, it, it was, if we were doing like, um, if we were, um, what are you saying? That, uh, rating it, it was, it was, it was not good. Like it was, a, it was like it was a, it was not good, but um, Kaz's rhyme was the best rhyme on rappers alike. So Hank took the rhyme, did on rappers alike. He didn't, he didn't. Hank didn't say, "Yo, I, I got an MC or I got MCs that I know that can do this." He did it himself, mm. and that changed the cost, the the cost of history and the cost of wherever we went. And most of us who were in that community at the particular time. We thought nothing of it because it wasn't good. It was people who were out of our community. They weren't even known by anybody in the hip hop world that we exist in. So we didn't take them serious or we didn't take that record serious, unbeknownst to the world that it would be where it is today and considered what it is today. All right. I thought it was interesting earlier. You, I, I couldn't tell if you were like trying to avoid saying the night the, you were like that record and we all knew what record you were talking about because <laughs> it kicks off the recorded era. Right. But um, I appreciate you filling us in on the true backstory. Um, a kind of weird question. Curious how you like what you'll make of this, but like, it seems like the early hip hop existed at parties, jams, park jams as they're, as they're now known in the clubs, were you guys partiers or was it like you were going to work? Like you were when you were going to perform, were you in the milieu of the party in the club scene? I would say, I would say I, I was at work. I can't say yeah. that for everyone else. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist by, by, by nature. Um, I like order. Um, I like to rehearse a lot. I think that um, I don't, th I know that the more work you put in it, the better it's going to become. So when I used to come into the show, I mean, I used to go straight to, dress, to the locker room or dressing room, and I used to just relax to get myself mentally prepared for what we we're about to do. 
And so that was my, I had, you know, everyone, the, the most exciting thing about being part of the Cocos Brothers, everyone is an individual. They had their own way of getting yourself ready for the crowd, right? Or, or the performance. Some members would go get a drink. Some members would go smoke marijuana. Some members would go and just talk to people. I went into the dressing room and I relaxed. I breathe. I, I never drank. I never smoked. I never got high in my life. So mm. my high was jumping on that stage. So when I jumped on that stage, it was just, it was like the level of energy was like exude out of me. And I can just tell you, like every time we performed, I could not I couldn't go to sleep for two days. Mm. Sometimes I could not go to sleep because of the adrenaline, right? The natural adrenaline that comes out of uh, performing for people and making the audience feel good. One of the things about us, as far as a group is concerned, we never felt that we were better than the people we were performing for, mm. right? We connected to the people on every level. So we felt we were part of you, not we were part of that audience, but we want to make sure that you had a show, whether it was one person, whether it was five people, whether it was 10 people. When you came to see the cold crust perform, you left that place talking about, yo, that was a dope show. And that's what we wanted. We wanted our, our, we want you to feel us on every level that you can feel a performance. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm wondering, as I was preparing for this interview, wondering how you felt about um, how hip hop has been to you and to your group. Famously, Jay-Z once said, he overcharges because of what was done to the cold crush. And I'm like, did you cut the cold crush a check though? Uh, uh, how do you feel like hip hop has treated you? Do you feel like in some ways you got shortchanged because of, of a group like a Sugar Hill that got all the attention and status Do you? How, what are your feelings about that? Well, we had my feeling. Well, I don't, I'm going with what I, I'm going with what I think. I don't, I'm not going with my feelings. My feelings will give you a different answer. So I'm gonna go with what I think. <laughs> so this is this is this is a facts, right? We had an opportunity to sign with Sugar, Sugar, uh, Sugar Hill Records. We chose not to because we didn't want to be a part of one more peg in someone else's will. So we decided not to sign with that. Um, we were looking to be um, like the number one person on a particular album or. Uh, company, whatever, so they could push us. But you know, we, you know, we made some, we made some uh, uh, interesting choices. Um, so, to your question is, uh, when Jay Z said that uh, that line, you have to look, you have to list, you have to look in depth to really what he's really saying. So, because remember who he is, right? He's a very smart dude, meaning that he says something, but you have to, you have to look into it. It's not going to be on the surface. So his mentor um, and partner in hip hop was Jazz Doe. So Jazz Doe is a crazy, crazy Cold Crush fan. He had all our tapes, all our routines. So he, you know, so Jay, Jay obviously was connected with him. So he had to hear all that stuff, right? I, remember, it goes back to what I said earlier. Our tapes were clear. You, it's like you were there, so you got you got that vibration of what we did on stage. So, you look at all the people who have taken a piece of the Cold Crush Brothers. 
And I can give you a story that um, DMC and um, says all the time. He said, Russell Simmons gave him, he said, you need to study this group right here. You have to become better than them. You got to become better than them in order to, be, to, to, to take this whatever industry by storm. They listen to our routines. They listen to our style. And he took what best fit for them or a piece of us, and he ran with it. You look at groups like Leaders of the New School. He took a piece of Cold Crust and ran with it. You look at a lot, a lot of different artists has taken a piece of the Cogus Brothers and incorporated it into them, which is which is honorable, but it's not economical for us. So we never received the economic, uh, I guess, economics from all those particular things. But as far as history is concerned, and if you do a tree, a family tree, you will see the lineage connected to the Cogus Brothers on many different levels, and even Will Smith who of course received a Cold Crush Brothers tape when he was in Philadelphia, listened to our tapes often, all the time. And he fell in love with Grandmaster Cass mm -hmm. and his rap style. And he wrote in his most recent book that because of his rap style and a particular rhyme that Cass used to say, help him develop his first, do his first record. So it's amazing, but no one to this day has come to us collectively and say, listen, well, I, I'm gonna take that back because we had opportunities, but we have chosen, we chose. So let's go, let's go, I'll go, I'll share some opportunities. Number one, um, in 1996, uh, we met with Russell and Leo Cohen. I think it was 96. And he was like, listen, we wanna sign you to Def Jam. This may have been the second time they wanted to sign us to Def Jam. We want to put the machine behind you. We want to, because the only thing that you ever was lacking as a group was that machine behind you. You'll have everything else. We get producers, we do this, we get it, we get you on the studio and stuff like that. Um, at the time, one of the members of the Cobras Brothers was visiting um, prison. And so uh, some of the members went to talk to him and let him know the, what was being offered to us. Um, that didn't fall, that didn't come through but it was offered to us. We got a contract from Warner Brothers. We didn't take that contract. We had a lot of opportunities. Um, Russell wanted to sign us at another time, and he wanted us to change our name to the Cold Crush Crew with KKK. We said, absolutely not. Not going to happen. Um, we just, we didn't, we didn't take those opportunities, opportunities, and we always, always had a voting process where we voted on things. So with six members, we voted on things. And I can say, so that's the reason why we never signed with any major label, even though we signed with um, Subsidy, Aaron Fuchs. And remember, we didn't know the business of music. So in that contract, um, if we knew the business, we would have got a lot more out of it. Even though we still, we receive royalty checks to this day, but they're not um, slight, slight, um, at the level in which they would have been if we would have known the business of music. So it was a learning curve. I honestly felt that it's really important for us to go through that because we wouldn't be where we are today.
Um, but to, just to close that question is nobody from the era who are millionaires and billionaires have ever come to the Cobras brothers and say, listen, like the rock groups come back to the, you know, they, they cultivate their pioneers, right? The younger rock group and connect with them. So they think they haven't connected with us in that respect. I would say it would be great for us to sit down with, um, cause we have incredible ideas like a Jay-Z and, or a, a Pharrell or a Will I Am, right? Because they're like eclectic, you know, and a Kanye because they're eclectic, uh, eclectic group of thinkers and we can make it happen. Um, you know, you know, it doesn't matter the age, it matters the skills and the will and the love because we have those things. We just need the platform. So when he said that line, everybody was asking the question, did he pay y'all? And to me, it, it felt kind of like, that was like a not a good question to ask, but I, I took it like, so when they mentioned other people in records, did they pay them? No, but I understand the reason why he was asking that question because, you know, you're from the beginning. We're from the, you know, the beginning of the, you know, hip hop. So we should get paid. We should get an opportunity to show what we can do on on a um record label, record basis. Because we never ever took records serious. We didn't master how to make records. That wasn't our forte. We never was in a, in a place with the right producers. But we mastered performing live. So one time we went out, we run, we went out when run had sucker MCs out and we played in Chicopee, Massachusetts. We got on first and we did our thing. We got off and we went to, we went back to the, uh, to the dressing room, the whole entire audience followed us. Running them went and they performed, but they came in and it was like, yo, we, we just trying to get like y'all, man. you know, it was an honor. Like, you know, they, they level in which they excelled was incredible they had the machine they had the right producers and they had a blueprint that they could follow which we, i would consider a lot of the cokers brothers not only the cokers brothers but a lot of us a lot of us in them but anyway so hopefully that can give you a little insight on that particular question do you listen to hip-hop or like what how do you spend your time like what do well, you listen to i listen to First of all, let's, let's let's go back to the beginning. We listen to everything. That's number one. That's why we so we we had we have routines from every genre of music. I still listen to everything. I think music is a vibration. Um, I'm into frequency, so music is frequency. So there's diff different types of frequencies in hip hop that I I can't I don't absorb. It doesn't feel good when I'm hearing it. And then there's certain frequencies that I do. So it depends on the frequency of the particular song that's being played. I love music. I think music is an incredible tool to 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 um, to teach, an incredible tool to um, for your to help people mem memorize things, um, to make people feel good, so and stuff like that. So I'm into I'm into all music. I mean, I listen to I mean, you know, everything. I mean, anything you can name, listen to. So you know, from from growing up. Um, my mom listened, turning on the radio on WCBS FM radio, AM radio, where they played all music from every every place, and like you know, they would consider pops, you know, music. So we grew up on everything from from Bob James, Jackson Five, 
Marvin Gaye, Isaac Hayes, Curtis Mayfield, The Whispers, Ohio Players. Um, you know, some of my some of my, I like, you know, I read I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, of course, of course. Um we love Billy Joe. We have a couple of a routine that mm-hmm. on Billy Joe. I mean, honestly, music is like it's mu- music has no color, it has vibration.